Today on the podcast, we're talking about self-leadership. As restrictions around the world ease and we venture forward into this new world of work, it can be tempting to look to others to lead us out of lockdown. My guest on the podcast this week is author and speaker, Kira Lancaster, and she told me that we have some personal responsibility when it comes to leading ourselves out of lockdown. So today I'm giving her a call to explore how to do just that. Hello. Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can all write it and we'll do it live. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. Joining me on the phone is Kira Lancaster, Australia's female keynote speaker and best-selling author dedicated to helping you transform your team from change fatigued to change fearless. Kira's thought-provoking speaking content explores the connections between resilience building, change management, and self-leadership success strategies. She says that the human skills are the competitive advantage in the decade of disruption, this post-pandemic world and the future of work. As a former change manager at Deloitte Australia, she combines story science and simple strategies from the stage to inspire a future-ready mindset reset. Most importantly, in a world dominated by celebrity, she brings authenticity, vulnerability, and relatedness that the audience comments on time and time again. She's the author of Reimagine Change, Escape Change Fatigue, Build Resilience, and Awaken Your Creative Brilliance. It's so great to have her join us. Kira, welcome to Phone Calls with... with oh, let me start that again. <laughs> welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Hi, Shane. How are you? Great to be here. Oh my gosh, I just really kicked off that in a really strong way by starting off with mispronouncing my own podcast introduction. I'm so glad you're here. We've been, we've been kind of talking about setting this conversation up for a little while and I can't wait for people to get to know you. I read your book um, and loved it and I just thought I'd love to get into a real conversation with you. But the three things, uh, three questions I ask people when they come on the show is the kind of fast facts, which is uh, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? Okay, um, I'm a Sydney born and bred girl and um, I was fortunate to grow up in Paddington opposite the SCG. So spent a lot of time going to sporting events uh, over there. My dad was an 80 stockbroker and mum, being a mad Irish woman, she set up Australia's first uh, premium Irish store in the MLC. So um, I guess that's, that's amazing. how I grew up. Yeah. And then the next question you asked me was? Uh, first job? Yes, first job. Okay, so... I guess my first job was when I was seven. I made my first thousand um, dollars. Wow! What seven-year-old makes a thousand dollars in their first job? I know, right? So I used to love getting up, watching the sound of music, baking muffins, and going up to the Paddington markets where I didn't have a permit to sell food, but I would walk around and sell the muffins to the stallholders, who were like a captive audience. And one of the best things was that I got to know them, and so I would go up around morning tea times. And they would always share lots of information about their lives, about their business, about the good times and the bad times. And as a seven-year-old, I just really loved soaking in the community and hearing all the different stories. And often I'd be gone from home for a couple of hours before I got back. So that was my first job. And um, yeah, it stood me well. That's amazing. And, and in your kind of own words, tell people a little bit about what you do now. How do you describe what you do? Sure. So um, right now I'm a keynote speaker speaking on the topics of change fatigue and resilience. 
and um, I design and deliver, I guess, research-rich um, presentations to re-energize change fatigue teams. And a hugely energetic and engaging keynote speaker, I, I might add. Watch some of the the kind of speaking things that you've done, and you know, just just really engaging, but also really thorough in your work. And you know, interesting topic to talk about change and resilience, given the last eighteen months of what we've just been through. What's the last eighteen months look like for you? Well, I think I've been in the same boat as everyone else. I mean, first and foremost, I'm a mum. I've got two young kids. They're six and nine. I've been in that homeschooling challenging times and um, that would be the first thing and then obviously as a small business I've had to switch from being out and about and rubbing shoulders with clients to shifting the whole business to more of a virtual model but I think that's been one of the big silver linings of the pandemic the fact that we've had the chance to speak and share our work more broadly not just here in Australia but globally so a really exciting opportunity but um, equally exciting that lockdowns are being lifted and we're about to head back out into the real world. I know I just I'm, I'm sitting here people who are maybe listening to the podcast can't see but I'm just sitting here with a fresh haircut I had my haircut literally an hour and a half ago Very and I sad. feel slightly more human for the first time in the last seven weeks and it's been it's been a crazy time. I think one of the things we've seen is the the borders in some ways the the through virtual um, delivery have been removed and we're we're speaking to audiences and people across the world um, probably and our messaging is going further and farther than you know it's ever gone before and so it's been pretty interesting the last eighteen months as a speaker I could imagine. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I mean, I'm very thankful that um, off the back of launching my book. Um, and obviously bookstores were closed, airports were closed. Um, I'm very thankful of my LinkedIn community for supporting the launch of my book. And, and that's where I get a lot of my clients coming and finding my work. And, um, you know, it's so exciting when clients do engage with you and they do want to bring their teams or their clients together through these conferences. It's an absolute gift to go on that journey with them. And as I mentioned, one of my favorite parts of the role is doing all of the interviews and finding out, I always ask them my signature question of what's keeping you up at night. And really, I'm very curious about what you're not speaking about to your team, how I can help unearth those challenging topics, those taboo conversations, um, and make everyone realize that we're all in the same boat together. And there is a way hope, there is a more optimistic and hopeful journey ahead. But, you know, in the world of psychology, you must address what is going on in the here and now so that you can more efficiently and effectively. Mm, I think I've heard you say that before, which is um, the different conversations that are taking place, the conversation that's happening out loud and then the conversation that is happening maybe in a head, your language, and then there's the kind of unspoken or unsurfaced conversation. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, beautiful. So, you know, I've obviously come from working in um, the world of consulting where it's very corporate. Everyone's dressed in their uh, significant black suits, whatnot. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're upholding who they are and they're, they're, they're proud of their leadership legacy. Uh, but behind closed doors, you know, you generally are able to sort of help them to understand it's okay to be a little bit more vulnerable and to share a little bit more about what's happening on their internal journey. And a lot of what I heard is that they weren't feeling stressed about the economy or what was happening in client work or even with their team. It was this new kind of uh, scope that 
change leadership expectations over and above their core work were now um, absorbing a huge amount of their time and their mental and emotional energy. So really a lot of my work centers around talking to leaders and their teams around that. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, we've talked quite a lot about over the last 18 months has been, you know, just some of the change that people have navigated and some of the fatigue and, you know, there's lots of conversations around well-being and self-care, all kinds of things that have been surfaced, mm-hmm. always been important, um, but had this kind of huge spotlight shine on them in the last 18 months. Um, one of you said your, one of the signature questions you ask is what's keeping you up at night. If you were to think about some of the people you're working with, what are their answers to that at the moment? What's What are the things that are really kind of distressing people at the moment? I think there's a lot of concern around um, their team perhaps not sharing their anxieties. So obviously we've come from this beautiful digital era where people are now sending out a lot of surveys and I think most people aren't very truthful when they're answering a survey, particularly if it's around topics like mental health because there's so many rounds of redundancies happening at the moment and there's, you know, freezes on hiring that people aren't always truthful and all of those truthful moments happen in those beautiful unstructured conversations which we haven't had so many since we've been working from home. But um, to be fair, a lot of the teams I'm working with, they're making great traction. And um, I'm very fortunate that some of those leaders are being exceptionally mindful about helping their teams to show up as their whole self. So not just as their corporate being, but to show more of their truthful side. And I think we were forced into that because Most people don't have an office in their apartment or in their house. They're sitting at their kitchen table. They might have a child next to them. And the truth of the matter is we've lost that nine to five. You know, our work hours have bled out and ultimately people are feeling fatigued. And one of the the key things here is as we start returning to work, I think there's going to be less of an expectation on talking about self-care. By now, you should have a much better understanding, a much better routine of who you are and where your energy levels are. And it's all about talking about what are you doing to show up and support the business? I mean, there's so much talk about this great resignation, but I don't believe it. I think the talk needs to be flipped. So you want to stay in your job. Well, what are you bringing? And what I talk to teams about is they have all the resources. They're naturally resilient, they're naturally adaptive, they're naturally creative and imaginative. And we shouldn't be reliant on showing up at work and being given some post-it notes to be like that. We should already already be energized and excited and want to better our business. You know, business transformation and innovation, they're all imperatives, but it's the team that's going to take you further faster, not the external consultants. So that's a big topic for me. It's massive. And I think what we're seeing is, I mean, people listen to this from all different parts of Australia and around the world and, and mm. their experience around lockdown has has looked different and it might look different. But where I am in Melbourne at the moment, and I know for you in, in Sydney, having just recently gone through this, we're emerging out of, I'm not saying emerging out of lockdown or COVID because we're still very much in the thick of it in, in what we're mm. experiencing, but we're, we're stepping into the next stage of whatever this looks like, where it has been a little bit of more of a re-emergence for some people. And I'm finding there's this really interesting dynamic of people being really optimistic and excited about the potential of moving forward, but also really anxious about what that means for them now. And what does it mean for, you know, the way that they do work, the the future of work and how it, you know, how it's going to, what the new reality is going to look like for a lot of people. And so people, 
will then go, okay, well, what is my organization doing to help me manage my anxiety? What's my organization doing to take care of me? And I, I would absolutely agree that leaders have an important role to play in all of this. But I think I, what I would love to explore with you is this, the, the responsibility that we have to lead ourselves out of lockdown. What, what are your thoughts on that? So I guess one of the key uh, metaphors that I love to talk uh, to teams about is this idea of a resilience shield. And ultimately what that means is that off the back of change fatigue and burnout, we need to stop that blaming, shaming and complaining and start taking a little bit more accountability uh, for what's going on and how we can forge ahead. So ultimately, I talk about the responsibility being um, a dual one. So one of senior leadership and one of self-leadership. And, um, you know, there's so much work being done around senior leadership and culture and bringing in all the different divisions of the teams to work together uh, to move forward. And obviously, mental health plays a big part in that now. But with regards to self-leadership, I think the conversation is very muted. And what I found is that uh, tired teams, um, fatigued individuals, you know, they're not showing up as their most brilliant, brightest selves. And that's a big loss to the business and also to their full potential. So often I talk about LEAD being an acronym for liberated, energized, adaptive and disruptive. And ultimately they're identities that we need to sort of allow to flourish within us and we need to cultivate them so that we're showing up in that way and that we're not being pulled along because when we think about learning and development teams you know their best interest is thinking about what is going to ready the business what skills do we need for those teams to ready the business for the future of work where we as individuals need to start thinking about what skills do i need because what the research is showing you know Five years ago, people were staying in a job for up to 10 years, and now that's dramatically shifted to as little as two years. And so if you're putting all your eggs in your corporate learning and development basket, instead of taking that ownership on yourself, um, I think you're in for a rude shock. So a lot of it's about truly owning what it means to be an adaptive leader and continuing to level up those skills in so many different areas. So, you know, self-care, self-leadership, making sure you're balancing human skills with digital skills. And it's a lot, but it takes a very deliberate, conscious effort and a lot of very honest conversations with yourselves. And this is an interesting question for you, Shane. Um, I know that you're a strengths coach. And I actually think what the pandemic showed was that this overindulgence on strengths, which was a big trend leading into the pandemic, actually let a lot of people down. Because they only focused on their strengths, which probably worked well in the office and when we were seeing, you know, like a growth economy. But when that all changed and we were suddenly by ourselves in our home and we didn't have people around us to support us in the physical sense, it was very revealing, the pandemic. You know, I think it unearthed a lot of our weaknesses. And for some people, you know, it's, it's more comfortable to be oblivious about them and, than to do something about it. But the leaders who are accelerating and who are coming out of this pandemic stronger than ever are those that have taken some action. 
Mm, I, I once heard the, the pandemic described as the great amplifier and they said wherever there was a crack, it became a chasm. And so where there was, you know, things that were we'd let go on for a longer period of time or things that we just kind of swept aside as not being that significant probably didn't really matter uh, in um, outside of a pandemic. And then all of a sudden, like you said, we're forced home, we're forced out of contact with people, and all of a sudden those things that were easy to ignore become really hard uh, to ignore. Um, and again, you know, for example, think, thinking about, um, there was this, uh, I can't remember. It was like a social media meme that was going around. It was like, uh, we all get to be at home alone with our thoughts. It's like, nope, I'm going to bake banana bread instead. I'm like people rather than dealing with the things that need to be dealt with, were like looking for any avenue that they possibly could to avoid looking introspectively. So true. And I mean, uh, one of the topics that I'm being asked to speak a lot about is um, productivity, which is an interesting one, you know, because if we are leading ourselves, we can't ignore it. And we're living in this world where we are totally addicted to our digital screens. And that is really troubling our brains. You know, we're not taking any brain breaks. And ultimately, it means that we're becoming irritable and angry and not being able to be our authentic creative selves. And so, even though it wasn't a topic that I specifically wrote about in the book, it's something I'm being asked more and more to talk about. And really, I, I love that because we need to start thinking about how technology can be our friend and it can be our foe. But this all comes back to that whole point of how are you leading yourself? Where is your accountability? And how how do you think about the topic of being, um, in, you know, integrity, I think is an important thing. And ultimately, we've spent years building these interpersonal skills on how we communicate with one another, but we spent no time talking about the intrapersonal skills, how we communicate with ourselves, how we hold ourselves accountable. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of talking about those topics. I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this. I, I was watching on Channel 7 the SAS kind of hell week and you know I have a whole lot of thoughts on, on the show in general, but one of the things that I observed was just the way that they spoke to the people in that very confronting, like, okay, it's time to deal with this. And people would start to go into, yeah, but you don't understand my story. And this is what I've been through. And they're like, all right, it's in the past now. What are you going to do to move forward? And it was so blunt and almost very, very cold. And I think what I tend to see is one or the other. We go extremely empathetic and we say, you know, tell me your story and let me sit with you in that for a moment and really like mm -hmm. sit in that. Or we go that really cold. It's like, okay, it's dismissive and it almost becomes a little bit toxic. I reckon there's this somewhere in the middle to be empathetic and at the same time go, hey, all right, what are you going to do about that? How are we going to move forward from this? How are we going to kind of move on? Where do you think, how, how do you find that line between when you're leading yourself, not becoming a constant victim and at the same time not being dismissive to the things that we've gone through? Because they're challenging, right? Yeah, beautiful question. And um, I should start by saying I'm not an SAS fan. I'm a huge Survivor fan. So I think I get my human behavior kick from that show. But it's kind of the same, you know, like when we are tired and exhausted, fatigued, when we're stripped of all of our luxuries, it's brutal sitting with our own thoughts. And mm. how do I find that happy space? Well, I guess what I would say here is I've done a lot of research going back to better understand um, trauma and what that, how that impacts us as individuals because three out of four individuals are showing up in the office as someone who has experienced trauma. And the reality is most of those people haven't done any work to address it. 
So what that means is that they are showing up with compromised nervous systems and it means that their level of personal safety and how they respond and react to people is compromised. And when we want to, I think we have to lead first with empathy, but I appreciate that for some leaders, there's a point where they want to shift that person out of that victim mentality. And that's a moment where you have to draw the line in the sand and actually say to them, you know, we want to provide support to you. Um, Perhaps I can recommend you to people in that area that are more experts, because ultimately I think leaders don't want to talk about some of the challenging people issues because they themselves don't feel like they've been trained or have the skills and they don't want to open up a Pandora's box. They're already time stretched themselves and they're thinking, is this going to be one conversation? Is this going to be five? Am I going to have to document it? Will I have to bring in HR? I think it takes a village to raise a leader. You know, we hear a lot about that for babies, but it's the same for leaders and leaders have to remember that They need to ensure that they themselves are going out and finding mentors, finding trusted confidants. They might need to pay for an executive coach. They might need to pay for um, a health and wellbeing expert to support their personal journey as well. But most of us are just relying on our boss. And the reality is that boss has their own challenges. They're reporting into their own bosses. They've got a broader team and they're the ones that are privy to what's coming down the pipeline of business transformation and change management efforts that you might not be privy to. And so their boulder of stress is probably three times as big as yours. And often when we're in a problem, we have that narrow lens where we're looking at it and it consumes our whole world. But for others, you know, it's a blimp on the radar. Yeah. I mean, you, you're probably really familiar with this metaphor, but it was one, one that was shared with me, which I really loved, which was talking about PTSD and understanding um, what that can look like. And they use the example of the laundry cupboard and, and you kind of, you know, when you um, something happens and the laundry cupboard happen, opens up and the doors open and your towels all fly on the ground and you go, I don't have time to deal with that now. And so you pick up all the towels and you shove them back in the cupboard and close the doors and they're just sitting there kind of putting pressure on it. And it can be the the seemingly most insignificant thing. Someone grazes the cupboard, touches the door handle, all of a sudden the doors open and the towels fly out again. And it's like you're reliving that experience all over again, which I really love the metaphor of understanding how trauma can just be seemingly triggered again. And they said, you know, part of the responsibility we have is to pull out the towels again and, and look at them, deal with them, fold them back up and put them back in there and actually work through some of this stuff. And so when you're saying people who haven't dealt with some things like into the workplace, it can be, you know, a leader who's working with someone on a team that doesn't necessarily do something that seems overly significant, but it can unload that cupboard again. And then we're dealing with a whole bunch of towels all over the floor again. Is that kind of what I'm, I'm hearing in terms of understanding that? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, some of the research that I found was talking about how we often think about trauma as something that happens in childhood or something that happens if we're in, um, you know, abusive and violent relationships or there's an incident that happens. And they are very significant events. But for those of us that work in the workforce, there's also trauma that arises from emotional trauma. So that could be experiencing the pandemic together. That could be being in a business that is on its fourth or fifth round of redundancies and every time you walk past that meeting room where people get made redundant you feel uncomfortable and it it unhinges your sense of personal safety you know I, I think it's a massive challenge for us as individuals 
to show up in the most um, fulfilled ways at work, whether we're working from home at, or whether we're in the office. But ultimately, one of the key things one of my mentors said to me is really understanding this premise of just being for people. And it doesn't matter who you come into contact with across your day. It's just slowing down to be willing to hear what they have to say or to create a moment for them to share something with you. And that's that's something that I've had to work a lot on myself coming from a very um, time pressured environment, just, just learning to slow down a little bit um, because people want to have those moments and that's where the magic's unearthed. Oh, I love that. And I think I've been reflecting a lot around empathy lately. And one of the the phrases mm. that I heard, which I loved is empathy is not feeling for, it's feeling with a person. And I love that idea of the being of allows you to sit with a person rather than just looking at a person or to a person. It allows us to sit with some, with someone in that. And I'm, I guess what I'm hearing from what you're saying is for us to start to lead ourselves out of lockdown, the first thing we need to do is start to be aware of where are some of the things that could have caused, you know, trauma, emotional trauma, anything that it could look like having the last 18 months of work and mobilizing to this kind of new way of working that we've been in. And as we come back into or go into whatever the future of work looks like for you, being aware of what we're bringing into our work um, and how that might affect the way that we show up. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, that, that would be right. So, I mean, first and foremost, you know, there's that uh, metaphor where we must put the oxygen mask on ourselves first. And I think it's about being very honest in the short term and asking yourself, um, are you feeling anxious about going back to work? If so, why? What's triggering that? Is that to do with um, the people? So is it your boss or your team? Is it to do with the projects you're working on? Or is it to do with the place? So do you prefer to physically work from home versus in the office? So I almost think of that as the New Year's Eve metaphor. You know, you are in control of having the best New Year's Eve of your life. The problem is people believe that they've got cement feet uh, when it comes to New Year's Eve, but you can control the people you're with. You can change the place you're at. And um, in a work sense, you can always shift from project to project depending on what your role is but I just think we're very um, focused on our work but not ourselves and it's important to do the introspective work it's that it's time consuming and sometimes uncomfortable you know like people don't as you said they don't like sitting with their thoughts they don't like being reflective but I think that's changing more and more because you know one of the things they're saying about the great resignation is People are, they more value their time across the day and the week. And I know for me, like one of the beautiful things that I love about keynote speaking is I can shape my calendar and my day so that I, I can hang out with my kids in a more fulfilling way. And, um, you know, we, when I was a consultant, you show up and you deliver your best work in front of your clients and you come home exhausted. And now it's about finding a little bit more integration would be the word, not balance, integration. I know. I saw, I saw you immediately catch yourself from using the word balance and change to integration. Yes. Yes. Because here's the thing, like I am pro people, but I'm pro business transformation. There is nothing better than working in a team and working for a business that's absolutely killing it in market. You know, they have a fantastic reputation. They're leading the market with their ideas, with their services, with their product offerings. And being a part of a team like that is phenomenal. Like there is nothing like that. But that doesn't 
doesn't just happen organically. It happens because senior leadership and self-leadership's at play. You know, it's that true resilience shield that's exciting. And um, I'm just all about ensuring that people realize that, like they're not being pulled along for the journey and that they're actually just getting excited. Like I've always been someone who loved going to work. I, I want that for people again. I want them to love their business, to love their work, to love who they are and to realize that they're capable of so much more where a lot of us have turned into thinking that we're competing with the robots, right? And we, we know that um, AI and automation is taking away all those low value jobs and all those highly uh, repetitive tasks. But ultimately what we're now competing with is what I call peak human. So because all of those skills are being taken uh, by automation, what we now know is we need to show up and be able to more think about it, I guess, from a design thinking point of view, where we're being empathetic to what is the problem of our customer and then uh, actually having the energy and the desire and the willingness to be creative and imaginative and be vulnerable in knowing that we have to fail fast because our ideas won't always be the winning idea. And that that is an exciting opportunity for the next 18 months for people to get involved in stretching themselves, not just to do the core work of what it was pre-pandemic, but stretching themselves to be a part of something new and exciting. Mm, and those teaming skills of being able to come back into uh, an office or um, into, uh, you know, rubbing shoulders with people on the team. Um, you talk about this concept in the book and you unpack a little bit more about um, uh, emotional contagion. I think you talk about it in, in the book and how our emotions kind of can, you know, uh, influence, uh, be influenced by the people around us. How do you see that playing out in the next kind of, you know, six to 12 months as people are getting around people again for the first time in a little while? It's true. So I guess on the topic of emotional contagion, we, we know that from the pandemic, you know, just like the virus can spread from person to person, so can emotions. And um, whether that's negative emotions or, and that's, creates that kind of toxic environment where people feel like they're work, walking on eggshells or whether they're positive emotions. But I also talk a little bit about um, the importance of uh, not focusing on toxic positivity where everyone is trying to rev everyone up. And I've seen a lot of that, um, I guess, in the early 2000s in my career back when I was in sales. And it serves a purpose, but it can lead to um, resentment from the team. And we have to be mindful of that. So I was speaking to, um, I've forgotten his name, a chap in the Sydney market who focuses on optimism. And I had a lovely conversation with him and I said, my focus is really talking about real optimism. You know, I want there to be hope and optimism, but it has to be at a level that feels achievable. We're not really looking for stretch goals in the world of optimism. It needs to be stable because people are looking for consistency. That's where the trust is built. Yeah, I think, you know, coming out of and, and I guess more into the conversation that we're having around leading yourself is number one, being aware, more personally aware of, okay, what over the last, you know, period of time has, you know, disrupted me personally, emotionally, um, and how do I start to deal with some of those things at a personal level so that I don't bring that back into the, the office or, you know, bring that into the work and so that I can show up more um in a better way and bring the best of myself to work. And then the second part of that is being aware that 
by doing that, we can have an influence on the people around us. Uh, we can actually shape the kind of environment that we go into based on how we show up into the workplace. And on the flip side of that, people can also influence us. So being mindful of who we kind of spend time with, how we spend time with people. Uh, do you think it can kind of work both ways? Is it, is it can have a positive impact on people around us or are we, are we more likely to be swayed by the negativity of others? What are your thoughts? Well, even though we've spoken a lot about, I guess, the impact of um, surviving and emerging from the pandemic, the truth is um, that by the time we're 35, you know, 95% of our behaviours and beliefs are based off our programming that happens to us between the ages of, you know, zero and eight. So our subconscious mind is formed around that time and it's influenced by our our parents and our community and our schooling and any trauma that we might experience consciously or subconsciously. And that's why when we're tired and exhausted, we end up sounding like our mum. You know, like whatever she said, we say now. So even though we are speaking a lot about uh, the pandemic now, I feel like people will naturally default to who they are by their programming. And so in, in the book, there's a whole topic dedicated to recoding your mind. And it's a super popular um, topic when I'm out speaking because people don't realize how intentional you have to be to start mindset work. And often I play this um, video, which is all about like this positive 1980s psych up um, around self-talk and, you know, people were doing push-ups and having a bit of fun with it. But the truth is you actually just need to really trust yourself that you can understand I guess, who you are and, and what's holding you back. And it's it's a lot of the, those thought processes that you need to start rewiring. So is it going to be a positive or a negative thing? Well, you're in the driver's seat, Shane. So the choice is up to you. <laughs> mm. So let, let's talk more things. So if, if I'm leading myself, if I'm not waiting for my organization to, you know, lead me and take me out of lockdown, um, what, sh- what are some of the things that I personally could be doing to make sure that I'm leading myself more effectively through the next six to 12 months? I think it would probably start with doing a little bit of an audit. So maybe reflecting on, um, and in a positive way as well. So what are some areas that you've seen of personal growth? Are those areas that you want to continue working on? And do you need some support externally? So whether you're getting a coach, whether you're uh, using the internet to find a course um, or a book, I think we forget how easy it is to upskill ourselves. You know, like we're so blessed to be living here in Australia and we have these amazing Australian authors, Australian leadership coaches, and I think mostly people are completely absorbed in low-value social activity. So whether that's watching Netflix, um, whether that's going out and drinking too much, although we're probably all looking forward to doing that (laughs) again soon. Um, It does take a a lot of effort. So, you know, there's an opportunity cost to everything. But I talk a lot about um, the importance of willpower. And while it's a depleting resource, it's something that we can focus on. And, you know, the science of willpower is the number one course that gets done at Stanford University. And they say that the, the best way to level up your willpower is actually to befriend your future self. So don't think about who you are now, but think about who you want to be and start becoming that person. And there's a lot of um, focus these days on identity and you hear it um, in Atomic Habits with James Clear. Um, 
But I think that's a big part. So starting to really think about what you need to go, what you need to do, where you want to go, and almost reverse engineering who you need to connect with, remembering how fabulous it is to meet up with people in person, to pick up the phone, to be brave. And, you know, as I mentioned, when you understand the idea that we as human beings are all the same, regardless of our title or tenure, you won't be frightened. I mean, when I was in my younger career, I felt very nervous approaching people who were quite senior and quite established in their careers. And, you know, post burnout, I had this massive epiphany um, about feeling so liberated to connect with people to further my research and study and help to share those learnings with people. So always, I, I think people are hesitant to reach out, but people love supporting you in your journey. You just need to make sure you're bringing value to that conversation. Mm. I, one of the, the phrases that I, that stood out to me in the book was you said, what would future me ask current me to start right now? And I, I've, I love that, that question because it's, it's one of the things I learned um, last year, early on when we went through our first series of lockdowns here in Melbourne, um, there were lots of conversations around people going, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. So we'll just kind of kick the can down the road a little bit. And then six months later, most of the conversations were, oh, I wish we'd probably started that a little bit sooner. And so when we came through kind of the second round of lockdown, third round of lockdown, it was the conversation that was regularly happening when we were tempted to postpone things or push things out. We would often say, okay, what would we be saying to ourselves in six months time? There's a good chance we'd be saying to ourselves, don't push the, don't kick the can down the road, get started now because you'll be really glad that you did. And so I guess if we're leading ourselves just to be thinking through the next 12 months, what might the 12 month version of me be saying to you right now? Hey, it's time to start getting ready for this. It's time to start doing some things here. What do you think 12 months down the road you might be saying to current Kira right now? Yes. Well, what I have learned is that everything takes longer than what you assume it will. So uh, we forget to factor, factor that in. You know, if you want to sign up to do a course at a university, you have to go through enrolment, you have to wait for the opening dates, um, and then you have to schedule in time outside of your work to complete that. So everything takes longer than you think. Even um, I know you're right, you've got a book coming out soon, Shane. So even the idea of dedicating time to write and to you forget how much time it takes when you are being self-critical of your work after you've written it and the editing process you just I didn't assume how much that would take out of me emotionally and physically so I would always say to people start sooner than you think and know how you best work I mean you need to understand your circadian rhythm what time of day you get the most energy how to leverage that um, what would 12 months maybe asking me to do? I'll be honest right now, because I've come off the back of a couple of conferences. And as I mentioned, my energy levels were a little bit low a couple of days ago. Um, I just feel like it's been such an epic 18 months for me. That's been, you know, writing and launching a book, setting up a business, going from, um, keynote speaking to virtual delivery. And I actually share a little bit about Dr. Rick Hansen's work and his work is a beautiful blend of East meets West where he talks about Eastern philosophy and then he backs it up with neuroscience from today and it's all about how we as modern day leaders can cultivate more contentment and inner peace and I love adding that um, to my keynotes to kind of round it out because as human beings we're not 
just productive and creative. We have to have that level of contentment. And I know everyone chases happiness, but I think contentment is so much more highly valuable. And so for me, I'm actually going to practice what I preach and probably um, just stay in my lane and stay focused. So I haven't got huge goals. It's just about sharing my message out there in market. I love that. I'm, I'm going to give you a second to have a think about the next question that I'm going to ask because um, it's probably not something that just rolls off the tongue f- for most people, which is what do you think is something that we're not talking enough about right now? Um, so on this conversation of leading ourselves and leading ourselves better, especially as we're coming out of lockdown or going into the future of work, or whatever that is, is for us right now. But to kind of, um, I want to kind of reflect back some of my big takeouts from this right now is, is really when we're coming out of lockdown, we have a responsibility to lead ourselves really well. And, and, and the things that are standing out for me as key themes has been being really aware of your own emotions, being really aware of, of dealing with some of the things that need to be dealt with whether it's trauma or emotions, actually making a commitment to developing ourselves. I, that, I really loved your kind of thoughts of, of, you know, actually taking the time to develop ourselves, grow ourselves, seek out learning, seek opportunity for growth, seek out people, find the right people that can support you mm. uh, to navigate that journey and be mindful of who you surround yourself with. And then obviously just leading into what, you, what you're talking about now, which is really nice self-leadership concepts for people who are, who are coming out of this journey. What's the one you reckon that we, we don't talk enough about that's, that's really important? As brutal as it is, if you had to reapply for your role, how would you sell yourself in and would you hire yourself? Oh. You know, I, I think if people really sat down and thought, would I hire myself? Because it's an open market at the moment and there's so much opportunity. And I think people just need that lightning moment to realise you're capable of so much more. You need to awaken your creative brilliance. You need to have a voice and share it at work and go and make an awesome impact. But most people are almost too comfortable in their roles. They're forgetting how important it is that they need to keep leveling up. And they need to do it not because they're chasing those intrinsic motivators like title or money. They need to do it for the human experience, which is all about potential fulfillment and, you know, contribution to community and a broader impact. So that, that, would, that would be my wake-up call, asking people to really think about would they hire themselves? I often imagine that, um, you know, when we ask the question, would you hire yourself, you tend to put yourself in your own shoes. But I really like the idea of is if you were – hiring and you got to watch you at work and spend a day with you and you were the third person and in that third person could observe what you do each day like then would you do that that's confronting to me because they see I would see everything of me that's exactly true and that's exactly why I talk a little bit about productivity you know the research that came out of Deloitte found that people are checking their phones 47 times a day during nine to five and that on average it takes you know, 12 to 23 minutes to sink back into the deep work that you may have been doing. If I was a boss and I knew that and I was walking past teams that have their mobile phones sitting in front of their laptops, oh, it's, a, it's a huge worry on what's happening to those amazing brains that people are letting distractions ruin them. Oh, so, so helpful. All right. So if you were to, to leave someone, imagine you and I were riding in an elevator together and we had a kind of 30 second conversation and you go, Hey, look, here's the thing I need you to know right now. If you're going to lead yourself well out of lockdown, 
just don't forget this. This is really, really important. What would you say to me? I would say to strip back the corporate bravado and start thinking about who you are as a human being, like what is your natural essence and how you can amplify that. Because all of the resilient, adaptive, creative resources that we need, they're there. They're just unlearned at the moment and we need to unearth them, we need to awaken them and we need to back ourselves in sharing it. And while there is a big piece around psychological safety that uh, leaders and workplaces need to work from a cultural point of view, we as individuals have to be brave and courageous and disrupt ourselves so that we can lead change from the front. Oh my gosh, I love that. So, so helpful. Because I think most of the time, and rightly so, we have the conversation from the perspective of what is my business doing? What am I doing as a leader for my team? How can I help them, um, you know, navigate uncertainty, navigate change, mm-hmm. help them be more resilient? This conversation is a bit of a wake-up call. And and I think rightly so to us as individuals to say, well, what am I doing to, to build my resilience? What am I doing to build my capability? How do I show up and be more human at work? work, um, which I think is is going to be really, really helpful for people. And you have a, an incredible book, which is called Reimagine Change, right? Um, that people can get hold of. I'm going to put the, the link to the uh, link to the, the book in the bio, uh, the show notes for this podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, why did you write it? Who's it for? What's it all about? So I'll let you in on a secret. The book's called Reimagine Change. And I think because my background's working in consulting as a change manager, People expect the book to be about change management, and that helps me get into a lot of organizations. But the truth of the matter is the book is about the intrapersonal skills that you as a leader need to show up in new ways. And most importantly, we talk about the challenges and the pressures of change leadership expectations. We talk about the importance of realizing that change fatigue can have there's a dark side to it and an impact on you as the individual and it can lead to burnout and that can lead to, you know, you leaving your industry. There's a whole lot of research around that, but ultimately it's about your journey coming back. So understanding that, you know, you might feel fatigued and that the pace of change is only speeding up and there's a way that you need to lead yourself through it. So we talk a lot about, um, understanding the difference between mindset and I guess the physiology and the neurology and we bring in a lot of uh, different topics that come from whether it's neuroscience or neurolinguistic programming but we weave that in to make it relevant um, to the corporate world because you know when I was in the corporate world and they would wheel in keynote speakers what I noticed was um, that they were typically 55 year old white males who had a wealth of experience Or they might have been uh, Paralympic heroes or, you know, wartime vets that were sharing about resilience. But I really wanted to see some representations um, from females, particularly ones that had walked a mile in the trenches of business transformation and understand those pressures in the workplace. So I've really written it from that perspective and um, I'm proud to be an Australian author and to be getting the message out there. So thanks for your support of the book, Shane. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's fantastic and and very thorough, which I love. And it's really well researched, um, which I think is, you know, there's there's you know, people can write a book. Um, I think that's one thing, but to to write a book that's thorough 
um, that actually has has the research to support it, and then present it in a way that's elegant. I think is is a real um, it's a real attribute and um, and, oh, and one you, that you should be really proud of. So well done, and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I know this is going to be really helpful for people, and I've absolutely loved talking to you. Likewise, Shane, I'm looking forward to catching up with you and checking out your book when it launches as well. So thank you so much for having me. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.